open our Bibles, if you would please, to Philippians chapter 1. And the title of the sermon tonight is, Bad Things Happen for Good Reasons. If I were to sum up the verses that we're going to read tonight, that would be the summary. Bad things happen for good reasons. When Paul wrote to churches, he always had something doctrinal to say to them, of course, and straighten them out on some doctrines that they might be having problems with. Sometimes Paul would be warning about heresies that are in the church. He may talk about false teachers that come along, and he says you need to beware of those. But there's another thing that Paul did when he wrote letters, and that was to let people know how he was doing personally. Naturally, the people that he'd won to the Lord, the converts that he'd spoken to and started started different churches with, they would be interested in where Paul was, kind of things that he was doing, how his welfare was. And so Paul would write back to them and he would tell them how he was doing. And here in the book of Philippians, we find that Paul does this. And if we look at this from a purely human standpoint, we would say things are not going very well. I mean, just to look where Paul is and what's going on in his life, he's imprisoned unjustly. He was a Roman citizen who had appealed for justice but couldn't find any justice. Uh, Here he's been tossed around and he's now in prison. It took him a while to get to Rome. And it doesn't look like he's really fulfilling the goals that he has as a missionary for the gospel. So bad things were happening. And if there was any reason for somebody to be bitter and angry, uh, Paul had those reasons, we would think. I mean, things were really going wrong. But we notice something as he writes this letter to the Philippians. There is no tone of bitterness. He never says that God is unfair to me. I'm going through things that I ought not to, ought not to be going through. He just says, yes, things are bad, but bad things happen for good reasons. We're going to read about this tonight. Uh, if you'd stand with me, please. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look uh, at verse number 12 is where we're starting. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 12. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear." Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Heavenly Father, thank you for... Great words that we read from the Apostle Paul. We thank you, Lord, that he's a man without bitterness, but a man who knew that you are always in control of everything. Help us to see that as well, Lord, and may we understand a little bit better why bad things happen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In Paul's time, they obviously didn't have the rapid communication that we have today. I mean, we have our modern technology, which puts us in touch with people all around the world at just about any minute of any day. These are great technological advances. I think that's what Brother Andrews would say, being a computer genius over here. He'd say, great technological advances. But I'm not so sure sometimes that the technology that we have today is really such a good thing in many ways. Uh, Usually, I 
would only have to worry, or used, used to, I should say, would only have to worry maybe about being interrupted two or three different times during the day, which I don't mind when I'm studying. We have a rule around here. If you come to my office and, and the door is shut, but the blinds are open, that means the doctor is in and you may, you may come in. But if the blinds are closed, that means don't knock, don't interrupt, because something's going on behind that door that it's important, needs to be taken care of. Maybe it's prayer, maybe it's studying for a message. But uh, so everybody has the, has, you know, knows the rule. You don't come in when the blinds are shut. But one of the things that, that we have today is this instant messaging. And I don't know about you, I hate instant messaging. And that's because anybody can interrupt you any time of the day that they want to interrupt. And your long-lost relatives from Timbuktu that you never talked to in 20 years, as soon as you sign up on the computer, they're there asking you questions. I don't know if that's such a good thing. I don't really enjoy that. So I don't use the instant messaging very much. But one of the things that I do like about modern communication is that we have our son-in-law who's in the Navy, and it's amazing to me that he can be out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and in just a few seconds or less... Uh, I know exactly where he is, or he doesn't tell me where he is, but he does tell me what he's, you know, uh, how he's doing and, and uh, things like that. And so that's, that's amazing to have that kind of communication. When Clarissa is in, in uh, San Diego and Lauren's in Kentucky, we can get on the computer and there with the webcam, we can see the grandkids. And that's a nice luxury to be able to do that. Well, of course, in Paul's day, they couldn't do that. He sat down to write a letter. He had to do it longhand. And maybe sometimes he would dictate a letter and someone would draft that letter for him. Then they would send that letter off and it may be weeks, it may be months before the person received the letter. So you can imagine that back in those days that receiving a letter was an exciting thing. Uh, I mean, a letter from some far off place. I mean, you didn't get letters every day like we have today. When I get up in the morning and I turn on the computer, I'm not really all that anxious to look at the emails because there's 20 emails or more from people I've never even heard of. I'm not too interested a lot of times in the mail that I get. But people back in those days were very interested and they were excited when Paul would send them a letter because they wanted to know what was going on with him. Well, as we look at this in Paul's situation, it looks like bad news. But when you read this, there's really something refreshing about it. There's something upbeat in the things that Paul says because he says bad things are happening, but God's doing a lot of wonderful things through all of those bad things. So here's a man that it looks like from all natural appearances, the best laid plans, what he intended to do, those things are not coming true. But he's bringing, God is bringing good things out of the bad circumstances. Let's look at some of that tonight. First of all, I want to talk to you about the certainty of trouble. Job, who, who probably knew more about trouble than any person who ever lived, said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Life seems to have just an innumerable set of problems. There's all kinds of bad things that are happening. Health issues, we see it on our prayer page tonight, we talk about that. There are financial difficulties that people have, there are relationship problems. Everywhere that you turn, it seems like every good experience is followed up by three bad experiences. So there's a lot of trouble in the world. Now, all of us here tonight, if you're human, and I think most of you probably are, we all have common problems. We all experience common problems. And, that, and that's because we're all born into the same world. We're in the same uh, human family. Some of us may have advantages that others don't have. But we all experience the same kind of problems. All of our problems really come from the results of sin. 
Now, all of us are born with that sinful nature, and so we all have common problems. And that's why Job said, if you were born of a woman, you have troubles. There are problems. You can't escape them. But the truth of the matter is that days of trouble, times of trouble, and times that are full of trouble don't really have to be troubling times. Because what we need to do, even though we experience all problems that are common to man, God shows us that we don't have to live in despair and we don't have to live in defeat. And so we look at Paul, a man whose life was full of trouble, but Paul could see God working in every trouble that he experienced. Now, for Christians, we do experience common problems. Just because you get saved doesn't mean that you don't have any problems. And we we go through the same things that other people experience. There are some things maybe that we don't have to go through, and that's because of the lifestyles that we live. And we we may not have to have the problems that other people do. Like, if you don't take drugs, you won't be a drug addict, obviously. And if you you won't get venereal diseases if you're faithfully monogamous. You're not going to get arrested for stealing if you never steal. And so the lifestyle of a Christian may keep him out of problems, but we all experience some of the very same problems. We're human. We're in a body, a sinful body. The body has not yet been redeemed, and so we face problems that are common with the entire human race. But not only that, for a Christian, there's something else that you face, and that is we experience Christ problems. In addition to having the common problems that man has, we have the problem of living in a world that is at enmity against God. We're serving a person that the world hates. I mean, the Bible says that the natural man is at enmity with God. And so we face the world's contempt because the world hates anything that's associated with Christ and with Christianity. Jesus never told us, well, we'll get saved and all the problems are over. It's smooth sailing for the rest of the way. No, his exact words were, in the world ye shall have tribulation. Then he also said in the book of John, chapter 15, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. And so whatever contempt that Jesus was in for, we're in for the very same types of contempt. We serve the master. And so the things that the master went through, every person who serves him is going to go through. And the idea of the Scripture is we're not to expect anything less than that. It's predicted for us. It's told that that's going to happen. And so when it does, don't act like it's a surprise because God says bad things are going to happen. You're going to have to go through those. Now, you may be thinking tonight, well, that's a very discouraging thing for the pastor to say. We're going to go through problems. Well, at least you should be thinking like that, like this. It could be this could happen to me in this life, and then the end is actually much worse than what I have right now. Because for an unbeliever, it actually is. They have all the problems of the world, all the things that they go through here, but then they end up in a place that's called hell. Believers don't have to experience that. And because we have joy that's coming in heaven, we ought to have joy right now with a joyous or glorious expectation of that. So troubles are certain. The thing is, we just have to see where God's going to take us through those troubles. So that was Paul's attitude. Bad things happen, but they happen for good reasons. Now, secondly, Paul reveals that this bad experience in prison was the opportunity for testimony. We would look at this and we would say, well, being in prison, how is that an opportunity for for testimony? How could Paul possibly do better in prison than he would if he was out here going around preaching the gospel like missionaries normally do. No, that was Paul's desire. He made plans to keep on traveling. 
We'll see that when we get into the last chapter of 1 Corinthians that Paul made plans and he revealed what some of those plans were, things that he was trying to do. Paul had a great desire to visit Rome. I mean, here, Rome's the capital city of the, of the empire. There are lots of people in Rome. They come from all different parts of the world. So if he can get there, if he can preach the gospel to those people, then the, uh, the gospel would spread quickly throughout the rest of the empire. So he wrote to the Roman church, and he told them, he said, I want to come and see you. The best-known book of the Bible that Paul wrote is the book of Romans, the greatest book of doctrine and defense of the gospel. He wrote that to the Roman church, and he said, I want to come and see you. I want to have some fruit there. I want to preach the gospel. I want to win converts myself in that city. Well, he says to the Romans in Romans chapter 1, verse 13, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Well, Paul is in Rome now, but he's there under far different circumstances than he expected to be. Here he is in Rome as a prisoner. I mean, God got him to Rome, all right. He answered the prayers. He wanted to get there, and he didn't get there in the way that he fully expected that he would. But this is God's choice. That's the way God said that you're going. If you remember when we were studying this in the book of Acts, we talked about how that there was a prophecy concerning Paul going to Jerusalem. Uh, he said that, that if you go down there, you're going, to go in, you're going to come out of that place in bonds. You're going to be put in jail. So his friends tried to, tried to dissuade him. They said, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go down there because the prophecy is you're going to be put in jail. But Paul said, I've got to go. I mean, that's what God wants me to do. And so he was determined he was going to Rome. And you know the story that when he got there, he was falsely accused of taking a Gentile into the temple. There was an uproar that ensued. And what the outcome of that was, Paul was put in those chains. He was in bonds. He got put into prison. He was ushered for two years between different Roman governors until he finally made an appeal to Caesar... And then he was able to go to Rome. Along the way, he was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. And he finally gets to Rome, not a free man, but chained to guards that were there every minute of every day. Now, let's back up here for the text for just a moment. In verse number 12, it says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And so he says, I'm in Rome, not the way that I expected, but this bad thing happened that I might have a greater opportunity to witness. Rome thought that they had shut Paul up. They put him in the prison. They thought, well, that's going to stop him. But Paul was a man who looked for an opportunity everywhere he was, no matter what the circumstances, he was going to serve God. If not one way, he'll serve him in another and make sure that God's work is done. When you look at this story... There's a thing that comes to your mind, or should. It does to mine, at least. And that's that, that, that story of Joseph in the Old Testament. How Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And there was Joseph languishing in an Egyptian prison. But he never forgot God. He never gave up his faith. He still served him. And he truly believed, I think, that God was going to do something great with him if he just remained faithful to the Lord. And so in that prison experience, God was laying the groundwork for greater things. Finally, Joseph was released from the prison. And as the story goes, he became second in command in all the land of Egypt. After many, many years, Joseph met up with his brothers once again. Do you remember what Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20? But as for you, 
speaking to his brothers. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. God has the advantage of seeing the big picture. We don't see what's going to happen down the road, but God knows it all. He already knows the outcome of every situation. And so things may seem bad, but if you're a child of God, he always promises out of that bad thing is something that God's going to bless you with. Bad things happen for good reasons. So how is it what was it for Paul then? I mean, how, how did this work out for him? How did arriving in Rome in chains work out better than if he had arrived there as a free man and he'd actually been able to roam Rome? Uh, what's the difference in it? Well, verse 13, he says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. So Paul in prison was engaging unbelievers. How did he do that? I mean, how did he have the opportunity to see unbelievers? Well, if you look at the word palace in verse number 13, it's actually the same word as praetorium. And what it, there's a couple of possible meanings for this. What it could mean is the entire area where Caesar lived with all of his household, and it included all the, all the guards that, that kept watch over Paul night and day. Some say that it refers particularly to the Praetorian Guard, the elite soldiers of Caesar. And so these were the ones that were guarding Paul. Why is that so important? I mean, why these guards as opposed to others? Well, think for a minute how Paul was kept. Back in the book of Acts, chapter 28, it tells us the way that Paul was kept. It says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God, and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Paul wasn't in a dungeon. Let's don't get that picture in our minds, that Paul's in a dungeon. He was allowed, the Bible says here, to rent a house. He did that with his own funds. I could go back into where he got all that money. We're going to talk about it now. But under, under his own funds, he was able to rent a house. And so, as we would put it today, he was under house arrest. Now we think, well, that's not such a bad thing. Paul's under house arrest. But, but being under house arrest then was not like Martha Stewart having a bracelet on her ankle. Not like that at all. Paul's bracelet was two Roman soldiers, probably close to 250, 300 pounds on either side of him with all their armor. And 24 hours a day. That, that's how Paul's under house arrest. Well, the key to the whole thing is which soldiers are guarding him. These aren't your everyday average Roman soldier. This is the Praetorian Guard. These are the elite of Caesar's treat, uh, troops. They're an elite band. They have great influence with other people. Now, what happens then is that these two guards that are on Paul all the time, they switch off and they take turns and there's a shift where different guards come in and they're guarding Paul. So they're chained to him night and day, different shifts that are coming in, taking care of Paul and watching over him. And you know what? Paul couldn't keep silent. He's not the kind of person just to sit there and not say anything to those guards. Remember when Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jail? The Bible says at midnight they were singing praises to God. You couldn't shut this guy up. He's going to talk about the Lord. And so these guards that are on Paul night and day, they're hearing the gospel preached to them time after time after time. They're hearing the Bible's frontward, Bible frontwards and backwards over and over and over again. Paul keeps preaching and preaching and preaching. And the best thing about that is these people had somebody who could really explain the Bible to him. 
No, it's one thing to get stuck next to somebody who wants to talk about the Bible and he has no idea what he's talking about. And I've run into those people and you probably have too. But here's a guy that can explain the Scriptures to you and tell you what they mean. And then besides that, they look at Paul and his testimony. Here's a man who has no bitterness. He has no contempt for those guards that are holding him. He has love for their souls. And so he witnesses to them as a friend and he shows consistency in his testimony. And what do they learn? They learn Paul's not a hardened criminal. Paul's not not somebody who's there because of some great crime that he's committed. Paul is in prison for simply one thing. It's the gospel that he preached. Some strange new gospel that Paul is preaching. That's why he's in prison. Well, there's no doubt that when Paul talked to these people, he won converts. He witnessed to them. And I, I have no doubt that many of them were saved. And that's one of the reasons why Paul says, these bonds have fallen out forever to the furtherance of the gospel. People are getting saved right there in the prison. So what do you think those guards did after they heard Paul all day long? They went back home. They talked to their families. They said, here's what we heard today. This is what this guy said. And when they got saved, they started to share the message with them. And I can imagine that Paul was the the buzz of the guard room. Every time there's a shift, there's those guards sitting down. What did you learn today? What did he say today? Show Show me something else. And they share all of that information, comparing the notes. And again, can you imagine being chained to the person who has the kind of insight that Paul has to the Scriptures? What an amazing thing. But then it's not just guards who came to see him, or they were there with him. There were other people who came to see him. We just read about that. I mean, they, they weren't, uh, people weren't prohibited to coming and talking to Paul. He had visitors, and so he had conversations with those people. And once again, the guards listened in on every single one of those conversations. So again and again and again and again, the gospel gets preached to those men. So here it is, what appears to be a great tragedy... This great missionary, this great evangelist, there he is in prison. By all rights, he's shut up and he can't do anything. He's in that house, he can't get out. But here's a man who has influence over others and he's preaching to people who have influence over others. And so when those guards were assigned to different parts throughout the empire, the elite praetorian guard of Caesar, when they traveled out, what did they take with them? They took the gospel of Christ. So what happens? God's purpose is accomplished. Paul is in prison, but the gospel's going to the four corners of the globe. Bad things happen for good reasons. And so Paul says, what happened to me has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And you know what God is doing through that? God is reaching people that he intended to reach. And it may look like there are people that couldn't be reached any other way. But Paul's there preaching to them. And that's what Paul says. Here I am. I'm preaching to them. I can't reach them any other way unless I'm in the prison. And that's the same thing that God may do with you. You may not like the neighborhood that you live in. You may not like the job that you've got. But God may have put you there because you're the only one who may be able to reach the people that you're around with the gospel. So otherwise, people may not be reached unless you're in that place. So everywhere that a Christian goes, it doesn't matter where, he goes by the grace of God. You need to learn that everything is done for God's glory. Everything comes out for God's glory. And we need to learn that our lives are not our own. They belong to him. And so wherever God puts us, that's the place where he wants us to be. So day after day, Paul is engaging unbelievers. 
But then we also notice here that there's a second opportunity for, for Paul and his testimony, not only engaging unbelievers, but he's also there to encourage, or he's encouraging believers. As I said, many came to his hired house, and they were encouraged by Paul's testimony. Rome was not an easy place to be a Christian. There was lots of persecution there. People were intimidated. Christians were scared to death many times. They had fear that their lives would be taken. But then they would go and visit Paul. And they would say, here's a man who's in prison. And look how he stands for the Lord. Look what he's doing there. He's speaking for Christ. And Paul says that has emboldened many others to speak for him as well. Verse 14, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, something that persecution has never done, persecution has never been able to stop the spread of the gospel. Where people are most persecuted, that's where you find the most courageous Christians. That's where you find people that, that really uh, are, are strong proponents of the gospel of Christ. Timid believers turn into powerful, bold witnesses for Christ under persecution. You know, they tell us, and Nick can probably confirm this, that there are thousands and thousands upon believers in China. And they risk detection every single day by a hostile government to Christianity. And yet they go on and preach. Yet they go on and reach people. The persecution emboldens them to speak for Christ. A few years ago when Russia was opened up, I mean, it was amazing to see the network of Christians that were there. Years under godless communism, threatened to be sent to Siberian prisons for preaching the gospel. And yet, they preached it. And there were people that are saved. And they're all over the country of Russia today. But we look at America, and we see a place where there is no persecution. And what happens in America? What's happening over the last few years, or 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Because we have no persecution, the influence of Christianity becomes less and less and less. You know why? Because American Christians are weenies. That's why. American Christians bellyache about everything. I mean, we are so sorry that we've always got problems. We're crying about problems all the time. Why is God doing this to me? What's happening to me? And we go around with that long, sour face. That's not Paul. And those that are persecuted Christians don't do that. They're upbeat and they serve God. Bad things happen for good reasons. And folks, you'll find this to be true, that when you shine in the middle of a crisis... Instead of saying, woe is me, and God, why did you do this to me? If you're still praising God, that might be the encouragement that some weaker Christian needs when they're going through their problem. If they see you, who's supposed to be a strong Christian with that sour look on your face and you're unhappy all the time, there's no encouragement for them. Paul was a man that in the bad times, he was still said, this is great because it gives me so many opportunities. Here's the thing. We are all linked by the same God. We're linked to a God who knows every single detail of our lives. He orchestrates, he manipulates, he puts us in the places that we need to be to work out the best for all. So your bad circumstance might be the advantage that helps another Christian. Look at it that way. We're going to come to it a little bit later when we get into chapter 2, when we talk about what God expects from us in the realm of helping other Christians and loving other people and taking care of their needs before our own. And that's the kind of man that Paul was. I want to read a great comment to you that was written by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He has a commentary on Philippians called The Life of Joy and Peace. 
And he writes this. He says, there was one thing about which Paul was absolutely certain, and that was the love of God. He just lays that down as something which is sure, absolute, and immovable. When he found himself in trouble or enduring tribulation, the devil undoubtedly tempted him to begin to ask questions about God and his love. But Paul says, in effect, no, I'm certain of that one thing, and I stand by it. He does not admit such a thought because he is so sure of the love of God. So he reasons and argues like this. Whatever else, says Paul to himself, may be or may not be the explanation of all these things that are happening to me, they are not in any way to be explained by the fact that God does not love me or that God is acting in a manner that is inconsistent with that love. And that is the thing that matters. That's exactly the way that we have to think. You have to know that God sees the big picture. God loves us, and he's never going to let anything come into our lives that he is not somehow going to turn it out for our very best. Bad things happen for good reasons. So prison or no prison, God will accomplish his work. God has a way to get it done. Now, we may not understand why, just like Brian was praying just a moment ago. We don't always know the why, but God does. God knows exactly why, and that's why we have to trust him. Now, there's one other area I want to uh, cover from these verses. Thirdly, is the disparity of teachers. There are some people who took Paul's imprisonment one way, and there are some who took it another way. And we find these two types of people described in verses 16, 15, 16, and 17. So the first group has a problem with wrong motives. They have a problem with wrong motives. Verse 15 says, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. See, when Paul arrived in Rome, there was already a church there. He didn't start the church in Rome, and that's why when he wrote to them, he says, I'm hoping that I'll come there, and I'll be able to win some converts of my own. I'll be able to talk to some people there, and I'll win converts among the Gentiles. Now, unfortunately, though, in the church of Rome... There were some problems. And there were some of the same kinds of problems that we find in churches today. And one of those problems is jealousy and envy over the ministry. Now, admittedly, Paul came to Rome not in the way that he wanted to, but he still was a man of influence. This is the great apostle Paul. Prison or no prison, this is God's man and God's place. But unfortunately, there's some people that were in the church at Rome that didn't like Paul being there. Now, verse... Uh, those verses in Acts said that Paul spoke confidently. People came into his house, but there were evidently some in the leadership of the church there in Rome that they didn't like Paul being there, and they didn't like the influence he had because probably he was stealing some of the affection, and, and some of that was being transferred over to Paul instead of being right there in that local church with, with the ministers that they had there. You know, something that you need to learn about church if you don't know this Ministry can be a cutthroat business. It really can. I mean, there is jealousy and envy, and I hope we we don't see it much around here, but there are churches where there is a lot of jealousy and envy. And there can be people that come into a church that are capable people, those that uh, can explain Scripture, and they give intellectual expositions of Scripture, and there are pastors that will be afraid of that. They don't want that because that means they might have some influence that's taken away from them. 
So here you have some people in Rome. Uh, they're not actually teaching untruths. I mean, they're, they're not preaching a false gospel or anything like that. But their motives are wrong. Uh, they're, they're, they're there in a contentious spirit. They're looking for something else. Not what the same things that Paul was looking for. And the very same thing is true today. Don't you ever think that, that, that independent Baptists all get along with one another. They don't. There's a lot of infighting in ministries and, and, and a, a, a between churches and independent groups. I mean, there's fighting all the time between independent Baptists. Some preacher will decide, well, I want to be the spokesman for the group. Another one says, no, I need to be the spokesman. You have this doctrine, I have that doctrine. They start fighting with one another. It happens all the time. Do a little bit of research and it doesn't take much reading on the internet. That's a good place to go for some of this kind of information. And you find out who's on the outs with who. Who's arguing with somebody else. Anybody ever go to an independent fundamental site and, and read the blogs? <laughs> Try it sometime. <laughs> you talk about entertaining. I mean, if you can sit back in the fray and you don't have a part in it, it can be entertaining what goes on between some of these people. So there's this, all this fighting going on. So there's people in Rome there that the deeper that Paul gets into the hole, so to speak, the better that they like it. They wish that Paul wasn't even there. Get rid of him if we can. And there's some people who believe that the contentions were so strong in the Roman church that when Onesiphorus, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's that slave that we read about in the book of Philemon. Onesiphorus came looking for Paul in Rome and had a hard time finding him. We have an indication of that in 2 Timothy 1, verse 17. It says, but when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. So that means that Paul must have been, not that he was hiding, but he was, his ministry had been obscured in some way. I mean, he arrived in Rome as a well-known person. People were coming into his house, but by the time Onesiphorus gets there, he has to search him out. You would think that the Christians in Rome would be able to say, well, there's where Paul is. We know exactly where he is. But he says, he diligently sought me out in order to find me. So, it appears then that Paul's ministry had become more limited toward the end. And there are some people who think... Now, uh, granted, there are, there are people on different sides of the question here. Some believe there are two Roman imprisonments. Some, there's only one. But this we know, towards the end of that imprisonment, it appears that Paul's ministry began to wane. And many people believe the contentions were so strong in that Roman church that it eventually led to the execution of Paul. And that might be the reason. It wasn't so much the, the problems that were without, but the problems within might have finally ended his ministry. But Paul has reason to rejoice even in this. Look at verse 17. Here we find people that have praise for the right motives. Verse 17 says, But the other of love knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. So according to verse number 15, uh, the end of verse 15 there, some are motivated with goodwill towards him, and these are Christians that the cause of Christ is what's most important. It's not personalities that are important, it's the cause of Christ. Now there's another interesting statement made in verse number 18 that kind of shows Paul's unpretentious attitude. What then? notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. 
to Paul, it didn't matter who was prominent in the church. It didn't matter if it was him or if it was another ministry. And we find that same kind of attitude in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about some of you say you're of Cephas, some of you say you're of Paulus, some of you say of Paul. Paul didn't say that because he wanted the attention, but one of the things that Paul teaches, it doesn't matter. As long as the gospel of Christ is being preached, as long as people are getting saved, he said, I can put up with the jealousy, I can put up with the envy, I can be above that fray. And that's what we need as ministers in God's church. Be above all that. Let, let God's will be done. Let God's work be done. The, the question is, is Christ being exalted? That's the most important thing. And so, in Berean Baptist Church, we rejoice in any ministry that wins people to Christ. Any ministry. But I want you to hold on to that statement for just a minute because let me finish with this statement. Christ is exalted only by truth. As I was studying for this message, I, I, you know, I read a lot of different commentaries. I go to a lot of different places, look at many different types of material. You see my office in there. And, and I, I come across commentators who take verse number 18, and they make that an excuse that what we really ought to do is put aside all the differences that exist between Christian denominations, and let's forget about all of those denominational differences. I don't think that that's what Paul means. Paul would always separate from people that didn't preach the truth. Our denominational differences very often, folks, are the differences between truth and what's not true, false and falsities and, and truth. The denominational differences are often that dividing line. Paul's not talking about doctrinal differences here. If he, if, if he were, he would have said just like he said to the Galatians. If anybody comes to you and preaches any other gospel than the one I preach, let him be accursed. He didn't say it once, he said it twice. Let him be accursed. So this isn't a difference between whether the gospel is preached or not being preached, whether it's truth against no truth. This is a difference of jealousy and opinions and all of those kinds of things. And, and, and Paul says, I can stand the criticism. I can put up with that if the gospel is being preached. Now, unfortunately, in the different denominations, many of them that we have today, the difference is actually the gospel. Because there are people who teach a different gospel. They're preaching uh, works for salvation. Or in some other way, they're, they're obscuring the Bible, obscuring the gospel of Christ. And folks, we are not going to cooperate with those kinds of people. Christ is exalted only when the truth is preached. Paul says, I am set for the defense of the gospel. And we're not going to compromise that gospel. This was the end of my sermon. And you'd say, well, okay, please make it the end. But it's not, today it's not the end of the sermon. Because I want to tell you something that I just learned yesterday. My sermon is bad things happen for good reasons. Yesterday, when I was talking to Brother Enrique Castro, we, of course, we were setting up these dates for who's going to preach where at what time. And he was telling me about an incident that happened in his church on Easter of this year. On Easter, on Easter Sunday, right after the church, right after the services, rather, at church, they have a, uh, they have a church van that they use to transport people back and forth. And there's a young lady who drives this church van, Sunday school teacher in the church. And as the church van was getting ready to pull away from the church, she didn't know it, but there was a church member's little child a two-year-old that had crawled up underneath the church van. And very slowly, as she pulled away, she ran over that child and killed it. 
When Enrique, Enrique Castro told me about this, I mean, the first thing I'm thinking, I mean, that was a gut-wrenching. I mean, I think of our granddaughter, almost two years old, and think, oh, what a terrible thing. And I see kids out here running around in our parking lot and think that, you know, that could happen here. Somebody, somebody could get run over right here in our parking lot. This happened on Easter Sunday morning. And when he told me this story, you know what he said? He said, it was tough. It was hard. It was a horrible thing to go through. But he said, God has pulled this church together like he couldn't have in any other way. And so the people were not bitter. Sad, of course, because of terrible tragedy. But they weren't bitter. And it's a bad thing that happened for a good reason. Because God pulled a church together through that. And you know, as I was talking to him, at the time, I, I, I could sense the sadness in his voice. But at the same time, he was thinking, how good is God? I mean, what has God done for us? I mean, he's pulled our church together. He said, now we're, we're unified like we'd never been before. Bad things happen for good reasons. You may not know the why, as Brian said, but God always does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we spent together tonight. Lord, may we take the lessons that we learned here and, and just see that, that you are in control of everything. Bad things will happen to us. But, Lord, you're always in control of those, and you'll pull them together so that we're just better Christians because of it. That will happen if we keep our eyes on you and trust you fully. Lord, help our people tonight. Let, let us look at things in this way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.